So tonight we're going to um, cover the point about uh, the way of leaving the body in death and taking rebirth. Okay, so this whole process of dying, going through the intermediate stage, and then connecting to the next life. What we all look forward to doing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, first of all, how death occurs. Yeah. Uh, death, basically, from a Buddhist perspective, it, it occurs for one of three reasons. Either we have exhausted the karmic potential to live in this life, or we have don't have enough merit to gain the conditions to keep living, or negative karma ripens to interfere with it. So what this means is the first one, you know, the exhaustion of the karmic potential. When we're born, there's a certain karmic potential from previous lives that we have to be in this body, in this realm, for a certain amount of time. Yeah? And so according to our karma, yeah? I mean, if we don't have so much good karma, then we don't have even the potential to, to live a long life from the beginning. And so that's why you see, like, some people die in the womb. They never make it out of the womb. Or we might have a lot of karma to be, you know, let's say, to be a human being. So then, just on the basic level, there's the karma there to live a long life. But to have, to, you know, so some people die simply because they've lived out that karma. The karma's run out and, you know, it's like there's no wax less the candle flame goes out. Yeah, the exhaustion of that. Another thing is that to stay alive is we need all the conditions to stay alive. We need food, we need medicine, we need, you know, a good environment. Now, if we don't have enough merit to have these other conditions, then we die. So we might have, let's say, the basic karma condition to live until, let's say, 80 years old, but if you know, we don't have enough merit to get food, then, you know, you see what's happening in Somalia. Or you don't have the merit to get the medicine, things like that. So you don't have enough merit to get the cooperative conditions that are necessary for life. So that's the second thing that, that, that causes death. And the third is the ripening of a negative karma. And so that is, let's say, you might have a long karma to have a long lifespan, you might have all the good cooperative conditions and the merit that supports them, but you get in a car accident, okay, or you get cancer or something like this. And so it's called an untimely death. In other words, that there's an accident, there's a, you know, a negative karma ripening in the middle that throws a wrench in the whole thing. Now, the uh, karma to be in this body, the first condition, that one we can't extend, you know, it's just, it comes with from previous lives. But the karma to get the supportive conditions, that can be extended, okay? So that's why, for example, there's uh, the practice of liberating animals or making charity to the poor, you know, because these kinds of actions, what we do is we accumulate good karma, and then that helps us get the conditions we need to be able to stay alive. So it prevents dying from the second thing. And then we do purification practice to prevent the untimely death from an accident. 
is if we have a negative karma from before, then that can ripen. If we do purification, then we can impede it from ripening. Or instead of it ripening in getting in an accident or getting AIDS, it might ripen and we get the flu or something like that. So that's why, you know, when you're doing purification practice, if you get sick, it's real good, you know, because you say, well, this is, you know, all this negative karma that would have ripened either in like a horrendous rebirth or maybe an untimely death or some kind of incredible suffering. And now, you know, I have a flu, I have a boil, I have something, you know, and it's all getting exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> One nun I know, she was doing retreat, and she got a huge boil on her cheek. Enormous. This is in Nepal. And she was walking around Kopan one day, and she bumped into Lama open, you know. <laughs> well, how are you? And, and she said, well, look, Rinpoche. <laughs> he said, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful? I don't think so, you know. And he said, oh, well, you're doing retreat, you know. You're purifying your negative karma. This is like eons of suffering that, you know, is coming out like this. So, you know, this is why purification practice is really needed because it, it stops this kind of premature death. Or you know what that what the Tibetans also say? Like, let's say somebody has the karma to to live a long life, but a negative karma ripens in the middle of it, and so they die young, they die prematurely. Well, then they'll still have just a little bit of like good karma left to be born as a human being. So then they might take take rebirth, but then those are the things, you know, like like the the babies that get aborted, or you know, the children that kind of die in in um, what is it? infant sudden infant death and things like that yeah kind of like there wasn't the karma there to live a long time as a human but there was a little bit like left over from the previous life that hadn't that hadn't ripened yeah so all these things are are like you know the karma influenced by our past actions so when we die um then at, at that time karma starts ripening again that will influence the future rebirth we take. Yeah. And so the the karma ripens while we still have some recognition and the ability to think and generate positive or negative thoughts on our own. Uh, so it's at that stage in, in the in the death process. And then a karma ripens and then that kind of makes us feel attracted towards another rebirth. In, in a particular realm. And so the karma that, that ripens, first if we have either one specific really positive negative one or one specific really positive, po- really, no, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> if we, <laughs> how come you guys didn't say anything? <laughs> oh, if we have a really strong negative one or a really strong positive one, one of those will be the ones that will ripen first. In other words, a really strong karma will ripen first. And remember when we studied karma, we went over these six conditions that makes make a particular karma strong. You know, the nature of the action, the strength of the motivation, uh, who you did the action in terms of, whether you purified it or not, you know, these kinds of things. So if an action is like really strong, you know, strong intentions, this kind of stuff, then that kind of thing is very likely to ripen at, at the time of death. You know, and so people 
may have, you know, like a really basically good life, but one time in their life they completely blew it and went bonkers and killed somebody. Or maybe one time in their life they, they went bonkers and it did an incredible virtuous act, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Bonkers is very relative. <laughs> bonkers in the eyes of their family, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, that kind of karma, you know, would be like the, the most likely one to ripen at the time of death. And if there's no karma that's particularly strong, either positive or negative one way or the other, then a kind of karma that's repeated, that's habitual. Something that, you know, it might not be very strong, but you do it every day. You know, like maybe, you know, you set up your altar every morning and you're half asleep when you set it up. So it's not real strong. <laughs> I'm still half asleep. But you are, you know, you do have the intention to make offering and, and purify your mind. And you do it every day. So it becomes habitual. Okay? Or, a, a, you know, a, a negative action that we do every day. You know, again and again and again and again, you know. Like we take things from our workplace or we lie about this or that or whatever it is again and again and again. Then it becomes very easy for that thing to ripen at death, a habitual karma. And then if there's no karmas that are, you know, none that are really strong, none of that are really habitual, then whichever one was created first. Okay? So kind of the, the, the one that's been in your mind stream the longest. Okay? Then that one can ripen too. So this is why the time of death is really, it's a very important time because um, things are all up for grabs. Yeah? Uh, and it's really important to be able to concentrate and, and, and live well at the time that you're dying because that's when the karma's ripening that influences the next rebirth. So that's why we put so much emphasis on uh, when somebody's dying, having a good environment around them. Because if they can have a good environment, then it becomes much easier for positive karma to ripen. Whereas if they're in, in an environment that antagonizes them or upsets them or generates their attachment, then it becomes very easy for negative karma to ripen. Yeah. So that's why if, you know, if you're dying or with, if you're with somebody dying, just try and have it peaceful and calm. You walk in some of these hotels, in some of these hotels, <laughs> some of these hospital rooms, you know, and there's two, you know, it's like you have three people in a room and you have three TV sets going all at the same time and one person's dying, you know, and they're dying to, to L.A. Law or something, you know, <laughs> or they're dying to Rambo. I mean... What does that do to your mind when you're dying to have that kind of energy around you? Well, it excites that kind of stuff within yourself. I mean, you can see, we basically, you see, we die the way we live. When you watch that kind of stuff on TV, what does it do to you inside? Yeah, I mean, you can see. Yeah, And so if, if it does that to you when you're alive, when you have some control, quote, quote, um, even though you're not using it, then at the time when you're dying and, you know, you're really bewildered, you know, what's it going to do to you then? So, uh, in, in a similar way, it, like in, in Southeast Asia, I'm not sure if it's true here, but in Southeast, in, in the Asian countries, 
They often like to have the whole family around when somebody's dying. It's considered that you've lived a very good life if all your children and grandchildren, aunts and uncles, and the whole the whole gang is there around you crying when you die. That means you've had a very good life because they love you so much. From a Buddhist viewpoint, you know, that kind of situation is one that's just going to set off your attachment yeah, and make it incredibly difficult to leave. Yeah, so if somebody's dying and the relatives are in there crying and crying, how am I going to live without you? I love you so much. You know, we've been together. Da, 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 and doing all these things that invoke somebody's clinging and attachment, it makes it very difficult for them to die peacefully. It agitates the mind, so it creates more likelihood for negative karma to arise. Or if all the family's fighting over the money, you know, and wanting you to sign the will at the last time. But, I, I mean, you laugh, but how often, you know, we think somebody's in coma and they don't hear things. I've talked to people in coma. They hear things. Yeah, they, they get input from the environment. Or well, even people aren't in coma. Somebody is dying, and so the family goes to the corner and whispers. And you know as soon as they go and whisper in front of you, it's bad news. Yeah? So the mind gets agitated. You get worried. What are they, what are they planning that they're saying behind my back that they can't say to my face? Yeah? And, or, or relatives come up and say, well, who, who do you want to leave, you know, the family heirlooms to? Or, you know, don't you want to revise the will and give it all to me? Or, you know? Um, yeah? Because, I mean, how, how rivalrous people are over the, the inheritance of the parent. Incredible. I mean, so many brothers and sisters stop speaking to each other because they start fighting over their inheritance. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so this kind of thing just agitates the person's mind when they're dying because when it's when we're dying, it's just really important to let go. You know, I remember Lama Yeshi used this image once. You know, he said when a ship is in the middle of an ocean and a, a gull is on the ship, when that bird takes off, it just takes off. You know, it just leaves. It doesn't fly and look back to the ship. <laughs> yeah, it just leaves. And so it's a similar thing, you know, when we die, just to be able to leave. That's it. But if, you know, the family wants to, you know, but if you're worried about who's going to take care of your kids or you're really angry at somebody, you know, because you've had a bad relationship with them for years and it didn't clear, clear up, or you have a whole lot of regret for something you did and you, you weren't able to purify it because you're too proud to acknowledge it, or, you know, your beloved whoever is sitting there crying and crying and sobbing and saying, I'm going to miss you so much, you know, it's going to make it real difficult just to take off. Yeah? So it's real important to have a, a, a quiet environment that way. One of my students in Singapore um, was dying. He was young and he had um, cancer. And he, he was the most incredible person, really. He gave me gifts. Sharing his death was one of the, the greatest gifts somebody ever gave me. And he was so clear and he called his family together one day with me there and another friend, and he was at his sister's house, and his sister and brother-in-law, and the mortician, you know, the funeral people. 
And he gave instructions how he wanted it to be. And he looked at his sister and he said, I love you, but if you're going to be in the room crying, I don't want you there. He said, if you cry, you come out, you go out to the other room. I mean, he was, this was incredible. I mean, he was just so clear and she really respected it. And so there was one time that wound up to be a false alarm, but one night we thought he was dying and the family stood in one part of the room. They didn't cry because they knew he didn't want it. Um, so it's just really important, you know, a, a smooth passage and uh, without like a lot of disturbances. And so this is what makes it very hard in hospitals to die, you know, because the doctors are always coming. They want to monitor this and poke you with that. And so actually, you know, if you know that somebody's not going to live more than, a, you know, a few hours longer, better just take all the tubes out, stop all the monitors, stop the resuscitation, and just let them go normally and naturally without so much invasive stuff. Because that can be really damaging. Somebody's trying to concentrate and be aware, and then, you know, they're getting poked and jabbed and, you know, these kinds of things. And so also... That's why they say, if, if you know somebody's going to die, try and help them clear up their worldly things. Yeah. So, um, and that's why I think in most cases it's good that somebody knows that they're dying because then they can take care of their worldly things so that then when they die, they don't have to be worrying about it. <laughs>